Hello and welcome to Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. My name is John Bartlett, and I'm your host. For our day one listeners, you may remember Elizabeth Ellie Frank as one of our early guests a few years ago. Ellie had been working in special events and marketing, but had discovered a love for dogs after moving to New York City in her adult years. She had adopted one dog, Mr. Bones, who she had had a great bond with. Ellie has kept his legacy going with the Mr. Bones & Co. initiative she founded, which focuses on low quantity but high quality rescue work. Last year, she packed up all her stuff and went with her dogs on a road trip for her own tin can kennel tour to observe and also to assist a variety of shelters across the country. Before we jump into the conversation with today's guest, I wanted to let you know that we are now offering 10% off all merchandise in our online store. Go to dogsavethepeople.com shop and enter the promo code dogpeople10 at checkout. Whenever I wear my Dog Save the People t-shirt with the message on the back, life is better with a dog, it's such a good conversation starter. So many people tell me that their life is truly better with a dog. So again, that's 10% off any t-shirts, hats, or sweatshirts by going to dogsavethepeople.com shop and entering promo code dogpeople10 at checkout. Ellie, welcome back to Dog Save the People. I'm so glad to see you again. How are you? I'm good. It is really great to be back. Thank you for having me. You were one of my very first guests on Dog Save the People, which feels like 100 years ago because of the pandemic and everything that's happened. But I wanted to ask you, just for our listeners who haven't heard your first episode, could you please just briefly describe a little bit about how dogs became such an important aspect of your life and everything that led to starting Mr. Bones and Company? Sure. In a nutshell, I adopted my first dog 13 years ago out of Animal Haven. I have an event marketing agency, so I was heavily involved in special events and things that happen after work and felt that my life was just going in a really superfluous, selfish direction and thought there was more out there. and. So I adopted my very first dog, and lo and behold, I found out there's a whole world out there of compassionate people that care about the welfare of animals. Probably within two years, I adopted my second dog, a foster fail that I took right out of our city shelter the day he was going to be euthanized. And that was Mr. Bones, and he was a pit bull that challenged me and turned everything upside down, all of my preconceived notions on working with dogs and training. Everything I understood was challenged and loved and uh, worked with him very much for six years and ultimately chose to euthanize him for behavioral reasons that I couldn't fix. And that sort of catapulted me into phase two of Mr. Bones and Co., which is really focusing heavily on education, on normalizing behavior euthanasia, on the fact that we cannot save them all. And how do we fix that problem before it becomes a problem? Not a day goes by that I don't think of him in some way, but I am on this earth in a trajectory in large part because of him. And so I owe it to him to honor him to keep going. I'm going to start crying already. All of the rescue work that you've done and just everything that you just said resonates so much with me. And I know for so many of our listeners, I think that a lot of us have had dogs come into our lives that have turned our lives upside down. And yours is a stunning 
example of that and everything that you've done with Mr. Bones and Co. I just, I thank you from the bottom of my heart and really for the information and the honesty and transparency that you have created around these difficult topics. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think transparency is such an important part of this component because so many people are battling the same demons and don't even know that it's okay and that so many of us go through it. Like you say, dogs will save us. They sure do. Now let's talk about your latest adventure. Can you please tell me about the original idea for the Tin Can Kennel road trip? I wanted to see how shelters really are across the United States. I wanted to compare them by regions. I wanted to know what dogs were in the most need of assistance. I wanted to see how it varied all around the country. And I wanted to collectively see, okay, this works and this doesn't. And how can I implement a broader spectrum of change that's more effective from what I learned from these groups? Amazing. So can you tell me a little bit about what you experienced and possibly some insights that you gained visiting all of these different shelters across the country? So what I'm happy to tell you is that almost every single shelter focuses heavily on enrichment in the kennels, which is so important. I think a lot of people think enrichment is a walk. It's not even where it begins. It's a component of it. Enrichment really starts with what are they going to do when they're in the crate while you're at work or while you're home? And you can't play fetch with them. It's about letting your dog sniff on a walk. The walk is not for you. The walk is for their intel. One of the things I really loved, the shelter I went to in South Dakota, they do scents in the kennels. Every day is a new scent. They spray a scent on the wall. Something just as basic as that, all the way down to frozen Kongs and frozen licky mats. South Dakota Shelter, the Humane Society of the Black Hills, they do not have a lot of resources, but they had free Frisbees. And so the Frisbees that were donated became licky mats. And so they would put peanut butter and treats and freeze them. Seeing these shelters go out of their way to do what they can with whatever they have to provide enrichment tells me they're hiring people that are educated, that are constantly keeping themselves updated on the developments of animal welfare and what animal behavior sciences tell us is good for a dog. So that was really refreshing to see that overall, people are really focusing on the mental well-being of the animals in their care and not simply warehousing them. Incredible. And I love that you use the word intel because I know that for myself, it took me a long time to figure that out about when I walk my dogs. It's not just about the exercise. It's really about them gaining intel and smelling and sniffing and picking up their messages. And I had a guest who mentioned the idea that Maybe his dog's going to stand and sniff an area for five minutes and you just kind of let them do that. And so I've really let go of having some kind of agenda. Well, I have no idea what they're getting, but that is incredibly important for them. So I love that you brought that up. I call it the doggy caucus. They're leaving their last remarks for the next dog to find it when they come back to the caucus. Oh, that's brilliant. So how many shelters do you think you visited on this adventure? How long were you away for as well? I was away for four months. I did come back for about two weeks in the middle of that because I did up and down the East Coast and then went straight across the country, down the West Coast, and then across the South into Florida on the second leg. My national park count was nine and my shelter count, I believe it was eight. Originally, I had this idea that I was going to do two shelters a week and you really can't. 
if you really want to spend some in-depth time getting to know the shelter, getting to know the dogs, figuring out how you can amplify the story of those dogs and try to help find adopters and potentially cases that I can personally help into our org, I had to pump the brakes and calm myself down and focus on less is more, which is ultimately the mentality of my animal welfare, by concentrating more effort into a smaller population, which we have the luxury of because we're not a shelter, then I can do more with what I'm focusing on. Right. But happily, I intimately got to know eight shelters, some municipal city shelters, some privately run, others humane societies and SPCAs, and really just met wonderful people who give a damn. And those are the people that I want in my life. Those are the people I want to know. Ellie, I love that you spoke about quality over quantity, because I know that for myself, when I think about rescue work, I get very overwhelmed because I think about all of the dogs that even I will see in one shelter. But the idea is it is one dog or one animal at a time. And I love that you were able to find inspiration and new ways of doing things from these different places. Because I think a lot of people, when they think about shelters and they think about places like that, they just feel depressed but that you're finding these wonderful nuggets of inspiration from each one is really exciting to hear about. Yes, thank you. It is a regular battle to fight compassion fatigue. And I think it's important to talk about it because we're all humans, but this is not always an uplifting field. It can be very depressing. And I have no choice if I want to be productive, but to take one piece at a time. If I stopped and looked at the entire pie instead of just handling that slice that I know I can put on my plate, it would just be overwhelming. And then I'm not productive to anybody. I'm not going to lie. I needed to refresh myself because the burnout is real and I feel it. And I know so many people in the veterinary field and the sheltering field and the rescue field, people feel it. And we are in an overwhelming position right now where the numbers of homeless pets, the crisis is just skyrocketing, particularly in the yeah. South. Taking on little slices, understanding what you can handle, that is vital to productivity and to continuing to be an ally and active in animal welfare. Oh my gosh, it's so true. So on this trip, on this adventure, you were doing some rescue work and along comes a dog named JR, who became one of the dogs that you posted about that I remember. Can you speak a little bit about JR? So JR suddenly became the entire reason why I was on the Tin Can Kennel Tour when I met him. By the time I got to LA, I was halfway through the journey and had pumped the brakes from the first shelter. I ended up taking four dogs and was just like, I can't do this. This is not sustainable. This trip was not supposed to be how many dogs can I save? And I met JR and he wasn't even really going to be a dog we were going to feature, but he was the senior pit bull and he was so sad and in so much pain. And he had these tumors that there's no way they weren't going to be cancer. And Rita Earl Blackwell is this amazing powerhouse in LA who is a volunteer. And she literally goes from municipal shelter to municipal shelter, promoting, sharing, advocating for these dogs. And so she was my shelter host for this particular shelter. East Valley Animal Shelter, which is an LA County municipal shelter. And they are inundated. They have, I think, 15 shelters. They're the largest public municipal shelter system in the country. And there was this little dog that was never going to get out of there. I was sitting there that night after the shelter trying to decompress. 
it was a pretty rough time because that shelter was overwhelming for me. And I was having that moment where I was questioning if I can keep doing this. Right. And so I just put this post, like I didn't plan it. I just wrote it from the heart and I was just like, I can't let this dog go. And as it turned out, somebody who lived about an hour from my house upstate here in New York had moved to Arizona. And that one of the shelters I helped in Long Island, the town of Hempstead, courtesy shared it for me. And that was where she adopted her first dog from. And she saw it and she reached out and she worked in a veterinarian hospital for 15 years. So she has a very big understanding of cancer, of how it's treated, of the protocol. And she was wonderful and willing to do it. And John, I was like, okay, I don't know how we're going to get him from LA to Arizona, but you know, the animal gods are looking out for me. I put a post on Pilots and Paws and this pilot who was in Arizona in Scottsdale, young, amazing person, just messaged me and was like, I'll do it. I'll pick her up in LA and bring her to you. I spent a week in Scottsdale, Phoenix area, coordinating this flight. I pick this dog up. I bring him from the airport to his new home and come to find out the cancer he has is a cancer that dogs have three to six months to live. He's been in that shelter for seven months. Right. So John, I don't know how he's still alive. He never got care. So we took him to another specialty place. We removed the tumors we could. He doesn't even need chemo right now. It's just not something you would put a 12-year-old dog through in his condition. You would never know this dog has cancer. He is the light of their life. He's amazing with their kids. He loves them. And honestly, I think he's got plenty of time left in his little ticker. If there was one thing for me to do on this trip, it was JR. If I had never driven across the country, I would have never met him and he would have never got out of there. There's just so many other dogs and the cost to save his life was so high. But this is what we do. We take on dogs facing extraordinary challenges. And I struggle with, is it ethical for me to spend thousands of dollars on one dog at a time? But it is because that's why I'm here. Yeah. Wow. I just had a good cry while you were (laughs) telling that story. And boy, Ellie, that's one for the books. I just love that JR is thriving. And look what you've done. So let's switch lanes a little bit. I want to hear about your journey with your own dogs. You went from around 28 acres where you are in upstate New York to around 200-ish square feet and to have to think of all these different things for your now three dogs. I figured if I was going to be living in this for an extended period of time, I wanted something that I felt was going to be sustainable and wasn't going to break down. Of course, Airstreams are very glamorous, but it was starting to get really cost prohibitive. And I just thought, you know what, let me buy an old one and let me have it custom built from the inside out so that I can make this work with three dogs because I have to practice what I preach. And your dogs are Charlotte, Joey, and now Jasmine, correct? Correct. That was the challenge, mainly Jasmine. Jasmine is a hundred pound bilaterally deaf Dogo Argentino who was born 100% unable to hear. And so she is affectionately called the Jasmanian devil. I need to manage how close they are when they eat. I have two resource guarders. I need to manage how safe is it for them to be in there when I'm gone? What is Jasmine going to eat? Because she eats everything from the inside out. And all these nooks and crannies had to be built into this to make it safe and still enriching and to make it possible. 
and some of the national parks that you visited. Were there any standouts of this experience? I geek out on national parks. I'll tell you that what I did learn was a lot of the parks are not dog friendly and dogs can only go where vehicles can go or on designated trails. And at first, uneducated me was like, that's ridiculous. These are my tax dollars. We should be able to take our dogs places. I quickly realized, no, I'm so glad they're not dog friendly because I am an animal welfare advocate and that goes beyond dogs. And what that means is the ecosystem, the wildlife, it's their natural habitat. And if you allow dogs, you're going to have a whole segment that don't believe in leash laws and just think it's okay to let their dogs run wild. So that's not fair to the animals that live there that they may hunt, but also just the scent. Their scents are threatening to animals of their prey. So I fully support that and I absolutely respect it. So Acadia in Maine is just one of my all-time favorites and super dog friendly. The dogs can go, I think, on pretty much every trail. I took Jasmine on something called Razorback. She loved it and she was phenomenal. She's in her element hiking, which is great because Charlotte's 13, so I can't really do much with her. It's not fair to her. And Joey, Joey is my sort of speed bump potato pit bull and he has these short little legs on a big body. And he also has double TPLOs. He's getting arthritis. So he loves to hike, but it's not like he can go up all these rocks. And Jasmine has these long legs and Jasmine was scaling rocks. Zion was stunning and beautiful. And I wish I had more time for all of these parks, but Zion was the only park that made me sad when I left that I didn't have more time. So that's back on my bucket list again. They have one really great paved path that is dog friendly, that you're allowed to bring dogs on. And I got on that path and I just thought, you know what? I'm such a jerk. I need to just be grateful and thankful that I'm here, that I have Joey and Jasmine who can do this walk with me. How blessed am I that I took all three of my dogs and drove them across the country and they can experience this with me. And we did just fine. And I did a lot of drive-throughs, the Badlands drive-through. There's a lot of great things you can still do with your dogs and keep them in the car. The parks were humbling, humbling because there's so much more that I still want to see and how tiny and insignificant we are in this amazing country in this world. But also it helped reframe my thinking of I need to focus more on gratitude, not what I want that I didn't get to do. I am so inspired by your trip. And I have a couple of friends that have been on the road for a couple of years. One outfitted a bus. One is in a wonderful safari airstream and going across the country with her husband and dogs. And I'm really inspired and envious. I wanted to ask you, I know that when I travel with other people, I learn a lot about them in different ways than I would otherwise if we were just in our respective home areas. But with traveling with your dogs, what new things did you learn about them or your bond with each other? For days, they would be the only things that I would talk to unless I randomly saw a gas station attendant. (laughs) All the check-ins to the campsites were online. But I learned that dogs are so adaptable. I learned that my dogs aren't hard on me, so I shouldn't be, and that I am doing enough. And I learned that you can heal a relationship. Joey and Jasmine, about six months before I left, got into a huge fight that was heartbreaking that I had to actually consider rehoming Jasmine, which was just devastating 
I did a strict three months reintegration where they were completely separate, but aware of each other. And then I wanted it to work so bad because I lost Mr. Bones and I wasn't ready to give up on another dog because I still carry that guilt with me. And I was really worried being in that tight, small space, but I designed it appropriately. I was able to separate them and they were fine in the truck and they loved each other. All positive reinforcement and keeping everything non-aversive. If you want your dogs to be non-aversive, you must be non-aversive. So they are only going to be reflections of how we train and work with them. And this trip made me realize I did it. That doesn't mean I don't have to always manage it. But what it means is be what you say. And a dog is hopefully going to learn and lead by your example. We became this little family on the road. I hear you. So after this amazing adventure in the tin can kennel, your idea of home has changed because now that you've been on the road and how important are dogs for you in this idea of home? I am this close to finally selling my farm and where I'll go next, I'm not sure, but it'll probably be back in the tin can kennel for a bit. Life never works out the way you expect it when you're a kid. Whether society shoved these notions down your throat about what you're supposed to be when you get to a certain age or your family or you put these constraints on your life usually never ends up the way we believe we're supposed to. And so to me, like this farm was sort of always home, but then I outgrew this concept of home and maybe a little part of the Tin Can Kennel Tour was a midlife crisis. I'm sure a big part of it was actually, but that old saying, home is where the heart is or home is wherever you are. It's true. My home is where my dogs are. And so home for me is where they are safe, where I am caring for them, where they are comfortable, where they are warm, where they are fed. Home is where everything I love is. And I have never driven better in my life than when everything I loved was in my truck and everything I owned was packed in my trailer that I was hauling. So I think home is fluid. It really is. Amazing. Yeah. And I really respond to that because I have an apartment in New York. I've got a little place upstate and I'm always trying to think about where do I really want to be? But to me, it's where my dogs are. They are my family and that home is fluid. Ellie, anything else that you want to share with us before we sign off? I would like to tell anyone listening that if you have ever thought about it, do it because the time is always right and the time is now. And whatever you think is holding you back, you can come back to it. We live once, especially to women who may be like, oh, no one will do it with me. Do it yourself, especially if you have a big dog. People aren't going to bother you because I'm telling you, most people looked at me like, that chick is crazy with those three big dogs. I'll leave her alone. (laughs) But in all seriousness, just go out and make it happen because you are strong enough and the world is yours. Ellie. Everything that you're doing is so inspiring and provides such a great reset emotionally and personally because this is an area of my life that I feel so strongly about. And I know that every time I see you or talk to you, it reminds me that I can do it and that it doesn't have to be a thousand dogs. It's one dog at a time. It's biting off as much as you can chew and we all can contribute to this movement. But also, every time I see you or talk to you, it just reminds me that time is of the essence. And I love that you did this tour. I love that you're going back out on this tour. Thank you. 
I'm doing the Tin Can Kennel Tour 2023. So that will happen again this year. And we'll, of course, share that on our social channels as well. So finally, where can we find you and Mr. Bones online and on social media? I am Ellie Frank NYC on Instagram. That is E-L-L-I-F-R-A-N-K NYC. And more importantly, Mr. Bones and Co. on Instagram is M-R Bones and C-O, Mr. Bones and Co. And we have a number of really great new cases coming in that are going to be up for adoption that have awesome stories attached to themselves. We're doing a lot more education initiatives this year community outreach. So follow along because we're changing our trajectory based a lot on what I saw going across the country and how I think we can make a bigger impact. Amazing. Thank you for inspiring me. And thank you for inspiring all of our listeners, Ellie. Thank you so much for having me on and for creating this platform. I really appreciate it. And I'm honored. It was really fascinating to hear about Ellie's journey with her dogs across the U.S. It's a journey that, of course, presented its challenges, but the rewarding moments that you get back just make it all seem really worth it. I've always had this fantasy of doing exactly what Ellie has done, and I think that Ellie's idea of getting on the road and seeing the country has really helped her to reframe and reset. I know that in rescue work, people really do burn out, so people have to kind of have that idea of stepping back, and I think at the end of the day, this is going to help Ellie help more and more dogs. And I also love that she was able to get closer with her dogs and that she knows that no matter what, no matter where she's at, where she's living, as long as her dogs are there, then that's home and that's enough. Thank you for listening to this episode of Dog Save the People, a podcast about how dogs make our lives better. This show is made by, as it should be, a production company and content studio. It is made with the support of Scott Benaglio, executive producer, and Jack Summer, our producer and editor. Special thanks to Daniel Lampert, our neighbor and composer, for creating the music for the show. You can follow Dog Save the People on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like the show, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow our show on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. To sign up for our monthly email newsletter, you can go to dogsavethepeople.com. On the website, you'll also find show merch in our online gift shop. This includes shirts from the Tiny Tim Rescue Fund, my foundation, where profits go to supporting independent rescues and shelters. If you have any questions or submissions, please drop a note to the email address bark at dogsavethepeople.com. New episodes come out every Tuesday, so see you next week for another episode from Dog Save the People. Enjoy a walk with your dog outside and make it a great day for both of you.